Come on now, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You gotta make a little noise. Absolutely. Man, we wanna welcome you guys out. Man, you look good. Go ahead, you can go ahead and have a seat. You look good this morning. In fact, look at the person beside you and say, you're looking good today. Tell looking them, say, you're looking good. good. Looking good. You're looking good. good. Look back and say, take me out to eat after church, right? Feed me then. <laughs> Man, we want to welcome you guys. We want to welcome everybody watching online, especially everyone in Grayson. Come on, can we get up for everybody watching in Grayson too this morning? Yes. So proud of you guys. Well, listen, my name is Daniel. If you're new here, I'm the lead pastor here at Better Life Church. And today you have something very special because we have my boy Clayton King in the house. And let me tell you about... Let me tell you a little something about Clayton real quick. We, we've known each other since 2002. He pastors one of the largest churches in the United States. Uh, he's the author. He's on his 16th book right now. He's writing. And I can tell you so much about him. I mean, just 11 months ago, he preached at the Nelson Mandela Stadium. And 140,000 people packed the stadium out. And 25 million people were watching online. And I, I told him this a long time ago. I personally, for me, my belief, that I believe he's the next Billy Graham to our generation to see what God has done. I told you that. If you remember that, in my heart, I really truly believe that because God's hand is upon him. But not only is he a great friend, not only is he a great man of God, but also he's a great father, he's a great husband, and we're so blessed to have him in the house. So would you do me a favor? Would you just stand your feet and welcome my boy Clayton King to the house? Come on, come on, woo! I love you, Pastor Daniel. Y'all gonna have a seat, don't clap yet, you haven't heard me preach. You don't know if I'm any good or not. Pastor Daniel, thank you so much for having me. I had a chance to eat uh, supper last night with Pastor Daniel and his lovely family. When I texted him and asked him if we could eat together, he said, how does Cracker Barrel sound? I said, man, that'll make a Baptist speak in tongues right there, because if I could just eat one place the rest of my life, it would be Cracker Barrel, and then it would be Waffle House right after that. So it's so great to be with you folks here in Moorhead, Kentucky. Uh, my name's Clayton King. I greet you from the great state of South Carolina, home of the 2016 NCAA Division I football national champion Clemson Tigers, who, I, who won the ACC championship last night, and I predict will beat Alabama in the championship. I really don't care who beats Alabama, but it's even better when it's my favorite team. God is moving already in this service. I know we're in Kentucky. I know this is a basketball state, and uh, I hate Duke as much as you do. Let me just say that right now. All good Christians do. So, um, <laughs> hey, uh, thank you for allowing me to, to be here today. This is an honor to, to be in your church. I have followed, because of my friendship with Pastor Daniel, I followed the story of what God has done here at Better Life Church, and it's remarkable. And I want to tell you, when I uh, left the hotel this morning and was driving over, my wife is with me. She's coming to the second service today with her brother and his wife and their four kids. And um, they live in Lexington. So we came in on Friday, came over last night when I was driving up today. Uh, I, I was coming down the, down the hill and I saw the glory of God revealed as I looked up toward your church and I saw Walmart. And then I looked up on the hill and I saw better life and it just felt like I was going home because uh, this reminds me so much just the feeling uh, the sense of community, the sense of family, even the structure of your church, just it all feels so familiar to me uh, because I'm part of a church in South Carolina called New Spring, and it's just so good to be able to see that God is moving here 
among so many other places. Don't let the news media convince you that it's only getting worse. Let me tell you about the gospel worldwide right now. There are about 2.3 billion people who claim Jesus is Lord, and that number continues to grow. Two weekends ago in Pigeon Forge, uh, I was able to be a part of an event called, Heart, called Hearts on Fire where we saw over 2,000 teenagers respond to the gospel in one event. And that's just one example of what God is doing worldwide. Pastor Daniel mentioned I was able to preach in Africa this past year on New Year's Eve, and we saw 15,000 plus people in one night respond to the gospel. So don't believe that it's all bad news. The gospel is unstoppable, and the kingdom of God is coming. And when the unstoppable force of the kingdom of God meets the immovable object of a hard human heart, the unstoppable force wins because the unstoppable force is love and nothing can stop the love of God. Hey, I want to go ahead and get started. I've only got two and a half hours to preach. I need to go ahead and, and crank it up. I, uh, I, you'll, you, um, as, as I was thinking about, you know, just preaching for you guys today, I, I just want you to kind of know my story, a little bit of it. My... Um, my mom was 14 when she got pregnant with me and 15 when she delivered me. And I've, I've never met my birth mother. I've never met my birth father. I'm very thankful that my teenage mom was pro-life. I'm thankful that she gave me a chance to live. I was, um, I was adopted when I was two months old in uh, late 1972. My mom and dad have both since, that adopted me, have both since passed away. I gave my life to Christ when I was 14 as an eighth grader. And the night that I gave my life to Jesus, I went to a youth rally that night, um, to be honest with you, because there was a girl named Barbara McCall, and she was cute, and I heard she liked me, and I'd never kissed a girl, not for real, um, <laughs> and I wanted to kiss her on the back seat of the church bus. Hey, I'm just telling you, it's better to, I'm asking for forgiveness, not permission, and so... Um, I thought maybe I would get some sugar, and um, that night I did not get sugar, but I got salvation, which turned out to be a lot better. Hey, God is sovereign. He'll use a cute girl to get an ugly guy saved in a heartbeat. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, so I gave my life to Jesus that night, and while I was on my knees at the altar in that little Pentecostal church in Greer, South Carolina, I was praying to receive Christ. I heard um, an audible voice tell me to preach the gospel. And I had never wanted to do that in my entire life. I had other plans. Um, and I started preaching almost the next day. God began to open doors for me and uh, started a nonprofit ministry in college called Crossroads. Your students came to our summer camp last summer. And uh, Logan actually surrendered to a call uh, to ministry there at Crossroads Summer Camp. And it's always good to hang out with Logan and his brothers and sister. And uh, your students will be back at our camp this summer. So it's a great partnership that we have with your church. And I'm just sorry it took me 10 years to come and preach for you, Daniel. Uh, if you'd invite me sooner, I'd have come a lot. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This is a great honor for me. I want to go ahead and dive into the message and, and kind of let you know where I'm coming from today. I, honestly, if I could kind of switch gears, um, I thought that the longer I live for Jesus, the easier it would get. Boy, was I wrong. Hey, cards on the table, there are two things that are true about the Christian life. It gets harder and Jesus gets better. And if anybody has ever tried to convince you, if you're not a Christian or if you are skeptical and you've got questions or, or maybe you've, 
never really bought into the whole God thing or the faith thing, and maybe you're visiting today because somebody begged you or invited you or tricked you into coming, I want to tell you, if you become a Christian, your life will not get easier. It will get better, but it will not automatically get easier. But what you will get in life is instead of, when you become a Christian, instead of getting an exemption from hard times, you get something better. You get a companion in hard times. And so that's kind of the direction I want to take today. The title of the message, if you're taking notes, which I hope you will, is called Overcome. So if you have a, uh, you know, an old school notebook, uh, you may have heard of those. Uh, they have paper in them. You can find some on display at the Smithsonian. If you have an Apple device, an iPhone or an iPad, take that out. If you've got a Samsung device, I got nothing for you because they're a piece of garbage. I hate them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't really hate them. I, hate, I do hate math, cilantro, and spiders because they are tools of Satan to destroy the universe. Um, but if you're taking notes, I want to preach to you today a little bit about how we overcome uh, the difficult things in life, especially the lies that we tend to believe. And so if you are taking notes, the first verse I want to share with you is a verse that I memorized actually as a kid. Um, I grew up in church. My, my parents did not give me an option I went to church a lot. I actually grew up in three church traditions. I know we're in East Kentucky, and so y'all are going to be able to relate to this. Not everybody thinks that this is funny, and uh, this is not a joke. This is the truth. What I'm about to tell you is the truth. I was raised Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal. You talk about having a jacked-up view of God and church. Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal. So my parents were Southern Baptists. I went to a Presbyterian Christian school, and my grandfather, who was a bluegrass musician, who played with Lester Flats, Earl Scruggs, and Bill Monroe. Not everywhere in America knows those names, but I'm in East Kentucky. Okay, he was a Pentecostal uh, when he got saved later in life. So I like to kid people and tell them being Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal means that I was predestined to speak in tongues while eating fried chicken and drinking wine at a deacon's meeting. Now, come on, people. That is funny. I don't care who you are. So, growing up, uh, I memorized this verse in Sunday school. It's John 16, 33. John 16, 33. I want to read this to you. It's going to be up on the screens. And if you don't have this verse memorized, it would probably be good for you to memorize it because um, there are going to be times in your life you're going to need this truth. And here's what it says. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says these words to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now, I love a lot of things about Jesus I love the fact that he could heal sick people and raise dead people. I love the fact that he told us to love our enemies and care for the poor. I love the fact that he died on the cross in my place to take my sins away and was raised from the dead three days later to give me new life. But one of the things I love about Jesus is Jesus was a straight shooter. And I like straight shooters. As a matter of fact, I'm teaching my boys, they're 16 and 13 now, that if in life, if they will just show up on time, do the minimum requirement, and tell the truth, they will probably boss everybody around for the rest of their life. 
Because if you'll just do those three things, you're going to be in leadership somehow. Straight shooters are in rare supply. I love people that tell the truth. And I love that Jesus is telling his disciples the truth. Hey, I've told you all these things. What things? Well, go back and read John chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 16, verse 32. The entire first half of the Gospel of John are all the things that Jesus has told his disciples. And he says, I've told you all the things I've taught you, every conversation, everything we've talked about, every time I've opened up the Old Testament, every time I've gone through the books of the prophets, the books of the law, the Psalms, every time I have referenced the book of Deuteronomy, every time I have referenced the book of Leviticus, everything I've taught you is for this purpose. I want to give you peace. Because this world ain't going to give it to you. This world's going to give you trouble. It's coming. And I don't care, and I, I, I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth, if you'll let me paraphrase here. I don't care if you're a Louisville fan or a UK fan, you're going to have trouble. I don't care if you're black or white or Latino or Asian, you're going to have trouble. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're going to have trouble. Don't care if you're rich or poor. Don't care if you drive a Lexus or an old pickup truck. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But I want to give you something to anchor your life in. You can take heart because in me, because of me, because of what I'm going to do on the cross for you, you can have peace because I've overcome the world. In other words, the world's going to offer you lots of things that are going to hurt you. They're going to lie to you, deceive you. The only way you're going to make it through this life, the only way you're going to have any kind of peace that transcends all the trouble you're going to go through is through me. Be of good cheer. Take heart. Have courage. I have overcome the world. Now, that's where I want to go for a few minutes. This became um, really important to me because I actually experienced, like all of you either have experienced, are experiencing, or will experience, I went through a time of trouble, a long period of trouble. And as a result of this 12-year period of great trouble that I endured, I began to believe some lies. Now, everybody tells lies, and everybody believes lies, okay? We all do it. Some lies are kind of harmless. Some lies are very destructive. I mean, there's harmless lies. Like, for instance, this, when I was a little kid, my dad that adopted me, I grew up on a, on a farm in South Carolina, and my dad loved to cut up with people. He was a joker. It's one of the things I miss most about him. So when I was a little boy, I grew up plowing, planting, and picking and harvesting and shelling and shucking and canning, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, okay? And we had a big garden, and in the garden we grew lots of things, but my favorite was, was uh, watermelons. I loved watermelons. I still do to this day. I can eat an entire watermelon by myself. Don't get in my way. I'll bite your hand off. I love watermelon. So when I was about four years old, my mom and my grandma forced me against my will to go to the grocery store with them on Thursday afternoons, and I hated it. 
and all the old women in the grocery store loved me. They thought I was cute because I would sing and dance for them in the grocery cart. I'm, a, I'm an extreme extrovert. I know y'all have a hard time believing that, but I like to entertain. I like making people laugh. And one day at the end of our grocery shopping experience, which I call purgatory, we're, we're in the checkout line and my mom and my grandma are paying the cashier money and I looked at her and her belly was huge. And I did not know what was wrong with her. So I pointed at her stomach and I said, what's wrong with your belly? And my mom popped me on the leg real gently. She said, that's not appropriate to ask. And I said, wow, what's wrong with her stomach? And my mom said, we'll talk about it in the car. We got in the car and I said, mama, what was wrong with that woman? And my mom said, she's pregnant. And I said, what is pregnant? And my mom said, you will have to ask your daddy when he gets home from work. <laughs> now I'm gonna tell you, I've been married to my wife, for, we're going on 20 years, and I've learned something about y'all women. I say y'all women, cause I'm not one of you and I don't plan on changing. I'm sticking with who I am. I'm a man, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I could not give birth. You are way tougher than we are. Thank you women for being women, thank you. But I've also learned that when your kids do something wonderful and amazing, they're your babies. But when they do something terrible and get in trouble, that's your husband's child. So my dad came home from work. Here's a, a, a mom clapping right here. She's either ready to get saved or give a love offering. I'm not sure. Praise God. The Holy Spirit's moving. So my dad got home from work and my mom said, Joe, your boy has a question for you. He said, what's, what's going on, son? I said, daddy. What does pregnant mean? And my dad looked at my mom and said, what have you been talking to our son about? I was four. She said, well, he saw a pregnant woman at the grocery store. And my dad said, oh, okay. I said, so daddy, what does it mean to be pregnant? And my dad said, she's gonna have a baby. And I said, of course the obvious question is, how? <laughs> and my dad said, well, and he said a few things. And I said, but how did the baby get in there? Don't worry, Pastor Daniel, I'm keeping this PG. Don't you worry. Growing up on a farm and my dad being the joker that he was, <laughs> this dad just put his hands over his daughter's ears. <laughs> Pastor Daniel, how, what are you talking about here on Sundays, man? Growing up on a farm and my dad being a joker that liked to cut up, my dad said, well, son, that woman's belly means she's pregnant and that's what happens to you when you don't spit out every single watermelon seed. <laughs> and I believe my dad because he's dad and I'm four. So the next Thursday, we're back at Bilo on Lawrence Road and I'm in the grocery cart and my mom and my grandma, creatures of habit, go back to the same cashier and they hand her the money and I stood up in the buggy and I poked her stomach with my finger. And I said, ha ha, I know what you've been doing. That is a true story. True story. She'd been swallowing watermelon seeds, of course. 
Now, was that true? No, it wasn't true. But was it really a lie? Eh, it was more of my dad just kind of messing with me. He knew that I could not understand the intricacies of pregnancy. Praise God, my dad did not try to explain that to me when I was four, right? So there are some lies we believe that aren't really that bad. And there are others that really, they kind of hurt us. You know, my sophomore year in college, first day of classes, I saw a girl in the cafeteria and that she was beautiful and I approached her and asked her on a date. And some of y'all are like, wow, that was bold. Yes, it was bold. And I will tell you why, good fortune follows those who are bold. And I just decided if she says no, I'll ask her if she has a sister and if her sister's 18 or older and if I can call her. So I asked this girl out, she said yes, we went on a date, I really enjoyed it. I asked her out on the second date. Second date was a lot of fun. We went to a pond and fed ducks stale bread. Cheap date, lots of fun. A duck chased her. I kicked the duck in the face. The duck flew away. She really liked me. I asked her on a third date. On the third date, I said, I really would like to just pursue getting to know you a little bit better. And, and she said, I like you a lot, Clayton, but there's a guy back home. And I said, oh, okay. She said, but I'm going home this weekend and I'm gonna end things with him. I said, okay, great. She said, because I just wanna be with you. I said, so you're gonna break it off with him so that you and I can pursue this relationship. She said, yes. Sunday afternoon rolls around. She calls me in my dorm room. This was the 1900s, so we had to answer a telephone that was attached to the wall. <laughs> she calls me. I said, hello. She said, I need to talk to you. I met her in the middle of campus by the flagpole. She said, I got to tell you something. I said, did you end things with your boy back home? She said, well, that's it. I'm just so confused. When I'm with you, I like you. When I'm with him, I like him. And I don't know what to do. And I said, well, let me make it real easy for you. I'm not going to play second fiddle to him. Figure out what you want and get back with me. And she goes, no, 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 no. I really want to be with you. And I said, no, I don't think this is going to work out. I think we need to break it off. And I looked at her and I said, and one day, I'll be living in a big old city and all you're going to be is mean. <laughs> Little Taylor Swift never hurt anybody on a Sunday morning. Actually, I didn't say that because Taylor Swift had not yet been born. This was 1993. And I still remember that, that lie. I like you, but she's still dating this guy. Let me get real specific to what this message is about, though. Even though sometimes we believe lies as harmless as if you swallow watermelon seeds, you'll get pregnant. Even though we can sometimes go back and remember lies that hurt us like a boyfriend or a girlfriend breaking up with you or breaking your heart, lies, real lies, hurt. They affect us. And we believe lies sometimes that we don't even know we're believing. So let me ask you a question before I go through a list of some of the lies that we believe and tell you why this has affected me. What would your life be like if you were looking at life through the lens of a lie? Because people do this all the time and they don't even know it. We subconsciously believe lies. And these lies don't come from God. These lies come from Satan. These lies come from the devil. And for me, the reason why I had to figure out how to overcome the lies I was believing is because the lies I, I was listening to were leading me somewhere. And I want to say that to you as well. The lies we listen to lead us somewhere. Every lie leads you to a destination. And here's where this got real for me. I'm just going to be transparent with you, okay? It's all I know how to do. 
Been in ministry 32 years, and um, I've been trying to tell the truth ever since I started, and I'm just going to stick with it. I'd rather be real than be right. So let me be real with you for a minute. When my, um, when my mom and dad adopted me in 1972, they were just the, they couldn't have kids on their own, and they adopted me, and they adopted my brother, and my dad was the greatest man I ever knew. Fast forward uh, into my late 20s, my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran, uh, served in the South Pacific, he dropped dead of a heart attack. His brother, my uncle Bud, dropped dead of a heart attack on our farm, in our backyard, uh, after he'd been fishing in one of our farm ponds. I preached both of their funerals. Then uh, my grandfather's sister, my great aunt, who was almost 100, she died. I preached her funeral. And then more and more people kept dying until over the course of 12 years, I preached nine funerals of nine family members. I lost nine family members in 12 years. I lost one family member on average every 16 months for 12 years. 12 years. Now, to give you a context on how long 12 years is, imagine the day that your child or that you started first grade. Now, fast forward to the day you graduate from high school as a senior. That's 12 years. The entire time that you spent in elementary, middle school, and high school. So for 12 years, I had a prolonged battle with darkness, discouragement, and depression because it seemed like every time I'm turning around, somebody in my family is dying. And then in um, November of 2010, my mom dropped out of a heart attack in the middle of the kitchen floor four days after she told me to my face, quote, any day now, I'm going to drop dead of a heart attack in the middle of the kitchen floor. Matter of fact, she died while I was in Canada. I talked to her in the airport in Charlotte, hung up the phone, got on a plane, flew to Toronto. When I landed in Toronto, my mom was dead. I spent the loneliest night of my life in a hotel room at the airport in Toronto, unable to get home because there were literally no flights. So my mom dies, I go and preach her funeral three days later. Two days after that was Thanksgiving. Two days after that was my birthday. Three days after that was her birthday. Three days after that was my brother's birthday, which was yesterday, by the way. And then three weeks later was Christmas. It was awful. On top of that, my dad was terminally ill when my mom dropped out of a heart attack with diabetes, heart disease, and multiple other health issues. My mom had been taking care of my dad. So once my mom dies and I preach her funeral and we go through the holidays and the birthdays, now it's my job to take care of my dying father. I took care of my dad for 18 months. Finally, my dad went into an assisted living facility and then my dad dies in June of 2012 and I preached my daddy's funeral on Father's Day. And then about 18 months after my dad died, my second mom, my aunt, that was my daddy's sister, who was like a mom to me, she dies, and I preach her funeral. And I'm telling you guys, I've never experienced anything emotionally like that in my life. I used to think that people who suffered with depression just weren't praying enough. Needed to read a few more Bible verses, a little more exercise, change up your diet, better sleep habits, until that dark cloud of depression came and hovered over me and would not go away. I tried everything, fasting, prayer, counseling, exercise, 
changed my diet, talked to people, read books about it. And I realized as a result of that season that I went through, there are some things you never get over. You just got to get through. But here's what happened. After my dad died and after my aunt died, and that was number 10, I'd lost all these people. Every time my phone would ring, my body, my mind would panic because I would think, oh no, it's gonna be a bad phone call. Oh no, someone's calling to tell me that somebody I love is dying or is dead and, I, and I'm gonna have to preach another funeral. And my body would react and my emotions would react and my adrenaline glands would kick in and I would panic and I was having bad dreams at night, dreams where my dad was begging me to come and save him from drowning, dreams where my mom had, had come back to life or was never dead in the first place and I could not figure out what was going on. And in this process, when my mind and my emotions were weakened because of life or Remember Jesus, John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Can't say Jesus didn't warn us. You're going to have trouble. Satan knew I was vulnerable, so Satan began to whisper lies to me. And here are the lies I heard. I don't know what lies you're believing, but I'm going to tell you some of the ones I believe because Satan would whisper them to me. You know, Clayton, everybody you love dies. Hmm. You know, Clayton, you're the common denominator in all of these deaths. You know, Clayton, uh, you're cursed. You're bad luck. Hey, you know, Clayton, um, your wife is next. Your kids are next. You're going to be alone and unloved for the rest of your life. Your mom and dad are gone. You never met your birth parents. You don't know what you have genetically and, and, and chemically in your body you probably have 14 different diseases right now. You should go get screened for everything. And these lies would keep me up at night. I hope I'm not the only one who has ever felt this way, but it felt like somebody poured gasoline inside my brain and lit a match and I could not put the fire out. The, the cycle of thoughts would spin and go crazy. And what if this happens and then this happens? And all these lies began to affect me so that I lost my joy in being a Christian. I was still in ministry. I was still pastoring. I was, I was the campus pastor at the largest Christian university in the world at that time. And, and for me, I could not shut these lies off in my head. I know that God loves me. I know that my wife loves me. I know that my boys love me. I know that God has made promises to me that he'll never leave me or forsake me, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. There's one thing in saying the truth out loud, and there's a difference in saying it and believing it in your heart. And I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to overcome these lies? Because I don't want to live like this. And so what I did is I went to the scripture and I just let the word of God wash over me. I let the Bible, I let the holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God preach to me the truth so that the truth could push out the lies that had taken root in my heart. And that's what some of y'all need to hear today. Hey, I'm a guest in your house, and so as a guest in your house, I want to respectfully tell you that for some of you today, God didn't send me here to preach to you. God sent his word here today, a special word for you, because some of you don't even know that Satan has been stealing the joy out of your life because you have been subconsciously believing lies. Let me mention nine of them to you. 
These are not the only nine, but these are nine that I've identified. I spent a year writing a book on this. I didn't write this book for you. I wrote this book for me because I had to figure out a way to let God's word save my life from the lies that were holding me down and destroying me. So I identified nine of the lies that we tend to believe. Here they are. I'm just going to list them, and then I'm going to read some scripture and pray, and we're going to be done. Number one, here's a lie that a lot of us believe. God is mad at me. I believe it. God's mad at me. God's mad at me. I've done something in my life, and God is angry, so he's punishing me by giving me depression. He's punishing me by killing my mom. He's punishing me by taking my dad away from me. God is mad at me. That's a big lie, and some of us don't even realize that we have believed it, and here's a way that you know you believe this lie. Anytime something terrible happens to you or a family member, if your mom gets cancer or your dad has a heart attack or you make a bad grade in school or the girl breaks up with you or the guy won't call you back or your friends are angry or you read something on social media, and somebody said something negative about you, you immediately think, I deserve this. God's punishing me for something bad I've done. God is mad at me. I want to tell you that's a lie. God is not mad at you. God is mad at Satan and God hates sin. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is not mad at you. Number two, here's a second lie. I can't forgive or be forgiven. I can't forgive. Leave that up there for a minute. Actually, just leave that up there. Some of us believe I can't forgive. I can't forgive the person that hurt me. I can't forgive the man that abused me. I can't forgive my mom for having an affair. I can't forgive my dad for walking out on us and abandoning us. I can't forgive my cousin for introducing me to alcohol or pills. I can't forgive that business partner that stole money from me. There's no way. I can't forgive. And the lie that comes right along that one is I can't be forgiven. The things I've done are too bad. The skeletons in my closet are too many. The darkness from my past can never, ever, ever be exposed to the light of day. I can't be forgiven. Nobody knows how bad I am. And I want to tell you, that's a lie. God knows exactly how bad you are. He knows how bad I am. And here's the craziest thing you will ever hear anybody tell you. Listen, God knows how bad we are, and he loves us anyway. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. You can be forgiven. And you might be thinking, well, how can God forgive me if I can't forgive myself? I'll answer that question for you. Are you ready? Because some of you have asked that. How could God forgive me if I can't even forgive myself? Here's the answer. God's not you. God can do things I can't do. God can do things you can't do. God can forgive even when we can't forgive ourselves if we'll repent. Here's the third lie. Money will solve all my problems. That's a big one. Money will solve all my problems. In the book Overcome, I told the story about a man not far from here in West Virginia who in 2003 won the largest Powerball jackpot in history at that time. It was worth over $300 million. And I chronicled the story of how that money ruined his life and all the people around him that died or were murdered or had their lives ripped apart by money. If money would solve all of our problems, then why did Elvis Presley die in his bathroom? sitting on a toilet filled with drugs. If money would solve all of our problems, then why did Michael Jackson die of an overdose of propofil, which was the only chemical he could ingest in his body to help him go to sleep at night because of the anxiety he lived with because of his success and all the money he had made? 
Money will not solve all your problems, but Satan wants to tell you that. Oh, if you just had another $10,000, you'd be fine. If you could just pay off that debt, if you could just get out of that credit card debt, if you just had a better house, a bigger car, if you just lived in a better neighborhood, and Satan will lie to you and make you spend the rest of your life chasing money, and all you're doing is chasing your tail in a big circle. Money won't solve all your problems. The gospel will. Here's our biggest problem. I got news for you. My biggest problem is not my debt. My biggest problem is not my house payment. My biggest problem is not what I owe. My biggest problem is this guy right here and the wickedness inside of me. And money can't change that, but the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ can. Number four, now this one gets really intimate to me. This was the lie that I believed above all others. I will always be alone and unloved. And Satan will lie to you and tell you that. He'll cause you trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. He'll cause you trouble. Oh, look at your life. You're, you're alone. Some people who have never been married struggle with this. Some people who are single in college struggle with this. High school students that never get asked out on a date struggle with this. If you've never dated or you've never been out or never kissed anybody, didn't get asked to the prom, you struggle with this. But I know plenty of married people who struggle with this too. Because there really is nothing more discouraging than being in a marriage and feeling like you're alone and unloved. And Satan will lie to you and tell you that. If your mom has passed away or if your dad's passed away or people you love have passed away, you can look at your life around you and go, I'm, I'm surrounded by all these people, but I'm, I'm all alone. You know, that's, that's such a lie. You're not alone. If you're listening to me right now, here or at our other campus, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to know, if there are people sitting in this room with you, and there are, Grayson, I'm sure there are where you're at too. Listen, if there are people around you right now, you're not alone. We're your family. That's what the church is. It's a place where everybody can belong. It's a place where people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different histories and different stories and different geographies can all come together and go, hey, everybody, I'm new here. I got news for you. My life is really messed up and I'm not perfect. And if you really knew the real me, I'm kind of afraid you would reject me. But because Jesus lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to come and show up and be a part of y'all. Is that okay? And a real church says, come on, we're just as screwed up as you are. Come on in. <laughs> Law number, uh, number five, sex is no big deal. That's a lie that our culture is believing and we're paying the price for it. Our, our, our culture has bought this lie from the enemy. Sex is no big deal. And here's what the devil will do. He does this with every lie, but he'll give you permission to sin like with this one, for instance, sex is no big deal. It's okay. You can look at pornography on the internet. You can um, reconnect with an old girlfriend or boyfriend on Facebook. Nobody ever has to know. Uh, it's okay. You can go a little too far. Uh, you're, you're just a teenager. It's okay. You should experiment. It's okay. I know you're married, but you're just going to have drinks at a restaurant with her. It's nothing. It's innocent. You're just having drinks. Satan is such a punk. He will give us permission to sin and tell us it's no big deal. And then the minute we sin, what does he do? He's in your face going, I can't believe you. You're such a filthy, rotten, terrible person. Your sin is terrible. God doesn't love you. God can't forgive you. You deserve to die and go to hell. That's what Satan will do. He'll give you permission to sin. And then the minute you do sin, he'll tell you that you don't deserve God's love. 
Law number six, good people don't suffer. That's one we believe. Good people don't suffer. And so when someone does begin to suffer, Satan will twist this lie in our own hearts and say, if God was good, then why did your mom drop dead of a heart attack in the middle of the kitchen floor? If God was good, Clayton, then why did your dad, the best man you ever knew, suffer for 10 years with diabetes, heart failure, multiple heart attacks, triple bypass surgery, and four and a half years on kidney dialysis? See, Satan's so subtle. He'll, he'll make us believe this lie. Good people don't suffer. And then when we watch people suffer, we'll question the goodness of God. This is a lie. Good people do suffer. Actually, if you want to get technical, there are really no good people. Right? Because we're all broken. We all believe that nobody's perfect. So in reality, there really are no good people. So let's get really technical about it. I hate this lie, and I took a, a long time in my book and even in my own heart to disprove this lie and believe the truth instead. Really, in all of human history, only one truly good person ever suffered. And he volunteered for it. Here's another lie. I can't resist temptation. Number seven, I can't resist temptation. I just can't, I can't stop. I can't stop, I, I can't resist temptation, it's just too strong. The pull of pornography, the pull of pills, the, 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 the hold that alcohol has on me. I can't, I can't resist temptation. And I'm gonna tell you for me, okay, I'm 46, I just turned 46. I'm a big guy, 240 pounds, six foot three, football player. I'm going to tell you what I have to do. I have to resist this lie all the time because almost every day I drive past Krispy Kreme Donuts in Anderson, South Carolina. And I'm going to tell you, the temptation is in my face. And you know what they do? They, they bake these donuts, and when they're still hot and soft and fluffy, they turn a sign on with bright lights that says, hot and now. And I'm like, hot now. Jesus, get thee behind me, Satan. Like, I... Temptation's real. And whether it's saying no to a Krispy Kreme donut or whether it's me refusing to, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not a good driver. I'm not. I'm not patient. I don't like waiting on people. I don't like obeying the speed limit. God is sanctifying me through the Holy Spirit. Both of my children are legalistic rule followers. And when they're in the car with me, they rebuke me for my driving. But I'm telling you, I have to resist the temptation to give people the one way to God sign with my right hand. Is that too much? <laughs> Am I being too transparent? <laughs> but you know what Satan will tell you? You can't resist that temptation. And then he'll follow it up with lie number eight. I can't change. I can't change. Not only can I not resist temptation, I can't change. This is who I am. This is how I was born. Here, here are some phrases that we'll hear a lot in our culture to prove just how we have swallowed this lie. It is what it is. You ever heard that one? Oh, it is what it is. How about this one? You do you, bruh. Bruh. What is bruh? You do you, bruh. You be you. Or here's one. I was born this way. But this is a lie. When Satan whispers in your ear, you can't change. You can never tithe. 
You'll never learn to get up early and have a quiet time because you're 47. You can't read the Bible. It's too confusing. You can't change. You, you, you can't change your eating habits and get healthy. Hey, a year and a half ago, I went to the doctor to have blood work done. When I was, I was 45, had blood work done. Doctor said, your blood work came back great, but your cholesterol's high. You better get that under control. He's like, what do you know about your genetics? I said, nothing, I'm adopted. He goes, okay, then I'm gonna tell you straight up, you better get your cholesterol under control. I said, what do I need to do, doc? He said, eat less and move more. <laughs> How dare you offend me? Don't you know where we are? This is the United States of the offended. You cannot talk to me like that. Prescribe a pill. <laughs> Doctor said, I'm not giving you a pill because you're a grown man. You're a grown up man. Plus he goes to my church. He said, you're a grown man and you're my pastor and we need you around. So eat less and move more. He said, lose 15 pounds, do it slowly. Now, what if I just said, I can't, what if I just said to myself, I can't change, I love sweet tea. I do love sweet tea. Love it a lot. <laughs> but it took me about seven months and I lost 18 pounds in seven months and I've kept it off and my cholesterol's fine. You can change. Do not let the devil lie to you and tell you that you can't change. Here's why I know this is true. You can change because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. And here's the last lie. There's more than these, but these are the nine that I wrote about, and these are the nine that I'm preaching about today, and you can just, if the shoe fits, wear it. Here's a lie Satan will tell you, you'll never be happy. You'll never be happy. You'll never make enough money. You'll never have the job you want. You, you, you'll, your kids will never turn out to be better than those other kids. Your wife will never understand you. Your husband will never get you. You'll never be happy, so settle for this life. How ironic that I'm preaching today at a church called Better Life Church. I mean, your whole entire philosophy of ministry is built on the fact that you believe Jesus Christ brings a better life. That the gospel makes your life better, and to quote Andy Stanley, makes you better at life. So I've got news for you. God really isn't concerned about your happiness. He wants something more. He wants you to have joy. Because happiness comes and goes like kids on Christmas morning opening up their Christmas presents. They play with them for a little while and they wind up in a closet and eventually at a yard sale for 25 cents. That's how I think of happiness. But joy Joy is what you experience when day after year after decade you walk with Jesus and you have an unshakable faith that whatever happens to you, God allowed. And even though he may not have ordained it, he will work all things together for the good of those, Romans 8, 28, that love him and are called according to his purpose. So if the devil tells you you'll never be happy, you just talk right back to him and say, I'm pursuing something better than happiness. So you shut your pie hole, devil. I'm pursuing joy. I'm pursuing Jesus. Let me read this to you before we pray. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said these words. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.
And then just a few verses before that, Jesus was talking to a group of religious people who were supposed to know God, but acted in a way that kept people out of God's kingdom. And here's what Jesus said to those religious hypocrites. You belong to your father, the devil. This is John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. Where do the lies come from that we believe? They come from the devil. He's the father of lies. Who's going to tell you the truth in this, in this world you're living in? Who's going to bring you peace in this life while the world brings you trouble and Satan brings you lies? The Word of God will tell you the truth and Jesus will help you overcome those lies. So I want to speak against those lies before we pray. I want to tell you, you are not ugly. You are not unloved. You are not damaged goods. You can change. God is not against you. God is not mad at you. God is not wanting to punish you and hurt you and get even with you. God gave his best gift in Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for you. And what God wants for you is abundant life, eternal life. And if Satan cannot steal your eternal life away from you, he's going to try to wreck your abundant life. And I'm telling you, you don't have to let it happen. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can know it and you can experience it. I want to read this to you before I pray with you. When I wrote the book, I sent it in to the publisher to meet my deadline. And as they were editing the book, I got a Facebook message from a woman in our church. And it was so powerful, I asked her permission to put it in the book. And she gave me permission, so I called the editor and I said, stop the presses, don't publish the book yet. I've got one more additional chapter to put in. And it was basically this woman's story. I'm going to read it to you verbatim from her. I withheld her name. Here's what she says. Clayton, I know you're one of the pastors at New Spring Church, and I wanted to say thank you so much for everything that is preached. I just moved to the coast of South Carolina several months ago from another state. I wasn't living a good life. I was an exotic dancer. I struggled every day with drinking and drugs, and I was taking pills to cope with the fact that I did not want to be there anymore. Listen to the lie she believed. I believe that was the only way I could make money because I never graduated from high school. Also, my mother and my father are not in my life at all. My dad's an alcoholic and my mom is a drug addict. Do you hear the lies that she was believing? Because I didn't graduate from high school, I'm dumb. So I need to sell my body to men. Because my mom and dad are alcoholics and drug addicts, I'm no better than them. I was born this way, it is what it is. This is all I'll ever be. Fast forward, she says that she took a new job. Someone came into the place where she was working. They pulled up the app from our church. They showed her a sermon. They invited her to church. And here's what she wrote. At the invitation at your church, I stood up and I felt like someone was whispering to me. So I opened my eyes and I heard the Lord tell me it was time to give him my life. Right then and there, I walked the aisle to the back of the auditorium where I prayed with someone and I gave everything to Jesus. Listen how she ends her letter to me from, from Facebook. I was baptized the next Sunday, and now I just feel so extremely blessed. I want to tell you how thankful I am for how God has changed me. And here it is. Now I look forward to going to church on Sundays so I can hear the gospel and feel loved and accepted. All she ever wanted was to feel loved and accepted. All she ever wanted was to belong and to be who she is 
and to have people and God love her. Why in the world would you keep believing lies when God offers you the truth? Would you close your eyes and open your hearts with me? I wanna be very clear in this time of invitation. It's very simple. Eyes closed and hearts open. I wanna invite you, if you have never given your life to Christ, or if you have been believing lies, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you while I've been preaching, I wanna tell you there is hope for you today. There is hope for you to change. You don't have to be beaten down by these lies anymore. You can believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He knows you. You've got nothing to prove and no one to impress. And if you have been burdened with the weight of your sin or your past or your shame or your guilt, all you do now is you confess that sin to Jesus and you receive his grace. He already loves you. So with your eyes closed and your hearts open, if you need to give everything to Jesus today, if you have been touched by the Holy Spirit while I've been preaching, I wanna pray a prayer with you. I can't pray it for you. I invite you to pray it to God, but I'll lead you in this prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, but Jesus does when you call on him. It's just a way of asking him to save you and to help you. So if you are ready to give everything to Jesus and be born again, if you're ready to overcome the lies and the trouble of this world by believing in a God who can overcome with the truth of the gospel, pray this to him right where you sit at both our locations, and he'll save you the moment you call on his name. Right now, I wanna ask you to pray this to him in your heart, not out loud, if you are ready to fully surrender to Jesus. He's listening, pray this in your heart to him. Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your truth. I confess my sin and I turn to you. I give you my life, Jesus. I give you my past. I give you my sin. I give you control. Jesus, I give you everything. I'm all yours and I'm all in. Now with your eyes closed and your hearts open and nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask you one simple question. I'm not gonna make you do anything you don't wanna do, but if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus at both our locations, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold right now. I want you to raise your hand straight up above your head, no matter what age you are, if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus, raise your hand up right now. Put it up right now. Come on, be bold. Put it all the way up above your head. I wanna see you. I wanna see your hand. I'm not gonna make you do anything you don't wanna do, but I'm asking you right now, would you be bold? And don't listen to the lie because Satan's gonna tell some of you, don't raise your hand, you'll be embarrassed. That's a lie, tell him to shut up. If you just gave your life to Christ and prayed that prayer, raise your hand right where you sit. Raise it high and keep it up. Don't look around, I'm looking. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 that I can see in this room right now. Now for all of you with your hand up, keep your hand up. 
For all of you with your hand up, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. Here and at our other campus, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. If you've got your hand up, I want you right now, it's your choice, I'm inviting you to stand up right now. Stand up right now. Stand up right now. You wanna beat the lie? You wanna believe the truth? Stand up right now. Come on, stand up right now. You can do it. People are standing right now, all over this room. Stand up. We're not gonna clap or cheer yet. Anybody else at the other campus, stand up if you just gave your life to Christ. You don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed and stay standing. Don't sit back down. Stay standing. Once you stand up, you can put your hands down. And don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let him tell you, don't stand up, that's stupid. No, you're standing up to boldly proclaim, I have given everything to Jesus and I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm gonna ask one more time, is there anybody else that wants to stand up right now? Because your heart is about to beat out of your chest, you feel it. That's right, praise God for you, brother. Praise God for you, that took a lot of courage. Is there anybody else, you feel your heart pounding in your chest? Stand up right now and, and overcome the power of Satan's lies in your life. Praise God. Now here's what I'm gonna ask, with eyes closed and hearts open. I'm gonna ask some of our counselors and some of our, our prayer team, I want you to stand up with these guys and these ladies. And I'm gonna invite all of you that are standing. We need prayer team and counselors. I think they're already ready in the back. Some of y'all prayer team and counselors, stand up on your feet right now. And with our eyes closed and our hearts open, I'm gonna invite those of you that are standing to simply walk toward the back. We got some of our prayer team coming right now down the aisles. I want you to, to move out of your seat and I want you to walk toward the back of the auditorium right now. And some of our prayer team are gonna pray with you. We're not gonna do anything strange or weird. It'll take five minutes. Go right now. And while they're going, I'm waiting on y'all to move. Go ahead, right now. Say, excuse me. I want you to walk toward the back of the room right now. Just walk toward the back of the room right now. One of our prayer team is gonna meet with you, talk with you, explain to you what it means to follow Christ and begin a relationship with Jesus. Praise God. And if someone around you responded and you saw them respond, you can reach over and put your hand on their shoulder and say, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Everybody open your eyes and look up at me. I have no idea if I went long because they didn't give me a counter, which means I can preach as long as I want to. But y'all are used to that because of Pastor Daniel. Guys, we just saw many people give their lives to Jesus. We just saw people respond to the gospel. Praise God for His goodness and His power. I, um, we're going to give them a minute, uh, both here and our other campus, to go and pray. I'm going to pray because I don't know if the band's going to sing because I forgot what we talked about. So when I say amen, somebody's going to tell y'all what to do. We're not dismissing yet, so don't slip out during my prayer because God sees you. Okay. Hey, let me say this before I pray. Better Life Church, this has been one of the greatest joys of my life to preach for one of my best friends and to be among my people. I love what God's doing here. I love the spirit of this church. I've got nothing but encouragement for you. Your best days are ahead of you, better life. So proud of you. Jesus, thank you for what you've done today. Thank you for how you've moved in this service. Thank you for the people that just responded to the gospel for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you tell the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. You can let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app, available on any major platform. Lastly, if you're interested in supporting what God is doing in this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying that you have a great week and we hope to see you again soon.